I'm Simon Dodge. Um, that's my foot up there on the screen. And the other friendly little guy is a little South Island robin somewhere in, uh, in the bush out of Karamea, Karamea. And um, after that, he carried on up and just pecked a few things off my leg. <laughs> I love the relationship between those little robins and, uh, and me. <laughs> it's like they're my friends, you know. Well, if you've just tuned in, we're right in the middle of a five-part series on pursuing our God dreams and using our gifts and talents and resources um, to serve others and to bring glory to God. In the first episode, Robert Norris used the story of Joseph to, to encourage us to serve well as if serving the Lord. Because no matter where you find yourself or what hardships Come your way, God will surely fulfill all the plans and purposes that he has for you. So be patient, serve well, and hold on to your dreams. Then last week, in the second episode, Anna Button shared the parable of the talents, which I think should be called the parable of the heaps of money. (laughs) And also she shared another couple of great stories um, to encourage us to use whatever God has given us whether that be gifts and abilities or money and resources or simply opportunities that present themselves to serve God and to serve others because you never know where your obedience uh, might lead and your willingness to help. And today, I'm going to talk about fruit because though gifts and abilities and resources are pretty cool, they're really just tools to help us bear fruit. You're not going to be rewarded for your giftedness. You're going to be rewarded for what you do with what you've got. So let's read together John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. It's not going to be up there, so you're going to have to pull out your Bible or your phone and follow along on there. I'll give you a wee mo. John chapter 15. This is in the... um, the Last Supper, and there's just so much good stuff in there. Um, I'm only going to scratch the surface today, so maybe you might want to go away and just sort of meditate on it later. Let's start from verse 1. This is Jesus talking. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, 
so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Oh, there's some good stuff in there, isn't there? There's a a beautiful flavor kind of running through this passage. It's, It's the flavor of love. And notice how that love is expressed in submission, in obedience, in humility, in laying down our lives for one another. Notice the unity that comes from this love. And notice that this unity and love that flows between the Father and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is now extended to us so that we get to partake in God's love and share in his work and be the ones that actually get to bear the fruit for God. Isn't that an amazing privilege? Let's just look at the passage. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions. (laughs) Firstly, who is the gardener? Yeah, God, the Father. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? We are. Whose job is it to tend and nurture the vine? The gardener. And who is therefore responsible for the vine bearing fruit? The gardener. Who does the resulting fruit belong to? The gardener. (laughs) But who bears the fruit? We do. And who receives the glory when we bear that fruit? And why? Why? Why does he receive the glory when we bear fruit? <laughs> you have to be watching your verses for this one. Because it shows that we are Jesus' disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit is the evidence of our love and submission to Jesus, and that's what brings glory to God. Does Jesus command us anywhere in this narrative to bear fruit? No, he doesn't. What does he command us to do? Actually, a few things. But he commands us to to remain in him. And what does he say will be the natural consequence of remaining in him? Then we will bear fruit. Okay? So he doesn't command us to bear fruit, he commands us to remain in him, and then we will bear fruit. Lastly, and um, 
just to emphasize the point, what is the key to us bearing good fruit? To remain in Jesus. All right. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If there's only one message that you take home today, then it's this. The key to all good fruit is a close, lifelong relationship with God. Every good thing that is achieved in you and through you will flow out of that relationship. Good fruit is simply the natural consequence of that relationship, of being joined to him. It's like the overflow. If you're connected, you'll bear fruit. If you're not, you won't. It's as simple as that. I love what Moses said to the nation of Israel. It seemed like after all, all this law that he presented, he zeroed into the very essence of what it means to have a relationship with God. He says in Deuteronomy 30, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may, here it is, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage that we just read in John 15. And especially if you read the wider passage. He's saying, love me. Listen to my voice. Hold fast to me. This is your life. So how can we remain in Jesus? What can we do to cultivate and grow our relationship with God? I think there are probably a lot of answers to that question, but I'm going to share two that I reckon are pretty solid. Firstly, set aside regularly, sorry, regularly set aside time to come before God with open ears and an open heart. I'm going to say that again. Regularly set aside time to come before God with open ears and an open heart. Have some conversation with Him. Read the Bible with Him, like a child and their grandpa reading a book together. I do something called SOAP. The letters stand for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And it involves reading and talking with God about what I'm reading and writing down what I feel he's saying as I go along. I just cannot overstate how, how important and how, um, how valuable this has been in my life. It's just grown me so much, both in my relationship with God and in and wisdom, and just, it's like a treasure, a treasure trove that is available there, and, um, you know, I've just found that, for me, soap has, has brought me regularly and reliably to the place where I can hear from God, and kind of enjoy His, His presence with me. I've actually written a book about finding intimacy with God through the Bible. It's currently working through the publishing process. 
I'm hoping that it's going to be out uh, sometime in the next um, three months. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, there's a lot of treasure in that book. I really feel like God's hand has been on it. And, um, yeah. So, if, you know, if that's an area that you'd like to grow in, then um, watch out for my book. I'll tell you more about it closer to the time. Anyway, the second suggestion of how to cultivate and grow your relationship with God is, has already been talked about this morning. Good job, everybody. And that is, submit yourself completely to God. Submit and keep on submitting. Just as Jesus expressed his love for his Father by um, submitting completely to him, so willing submission is right at the center of our relationship with God. It's, it's how we express our love for him. You could say that obedience is God's love language. I'm going to read you a short excerpt from my book. It's, it's to do with um, submission. I first surrendered my life to God when I was eight years old. I was at a children's camp, and I distinctly remember asking Jesus to forgive my sins and come into my heart. For Jesus, the faith of a child is precious, especially that very first step. And I like to think that the angels in heaven celebrated mine. I have no recollection of what happened in the years that followed that step of faith, except that, at the age of 14, I seemed to wake from a long spiritual sleep with a growing awareness that Jesus was there, not in my life, but rather knocking on my door. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus speaks to a church and he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That was exactly how it felt. Jesus was wooing me into a new relationship with him and was patiently, persistently knocking at my door. I knew that eventually I would have to open the door and let him back into my life. I wanted to. But for some reason, I told myself that I should put this off until I was maybe about 25, since um, all the fun stuff would be over by then. <laughs> but Jesus was very persistent, as were those who, unbeknownst to me, were praying for me. One night as I lay in bed, still aged 14, I could hold out no longer. <laughs> okay, Jesus, I said, you can come in. I still remember that moment. It was as if a giant weight was lifting off my chest. That night, I willingly submitted my whole life to Jesus, once and for all time. At least, that's what I thought I was doing. As momentous as that decision was, I have since come to realize that submission to Jesus is much more than a one-time event. It's like walking. You have to keep doing it or you're no longer doing it. Though I may be filled with every good intention for the future, I cannot actually submit to Jesus in advance. Nor can I live off the devotion of my past. Submission can only happen in the present. In this moment we call now. This decision. This situation. This thing that God is prompting me to do. And because now so quickly becomes then, I have to keep submitting afresh. 
It's like a verb in the continuous present tense. I submit and I keep on submitting. But what a beautiful offering of worship that submission is. I believe that persistent, willing submission to God is the highest possible expression of our love for him. Yeah. Why don't you just stand for a moment? We're at the midpoint in, our, in, our, in this talk. Why don't you just stand up and um, demonstrate the highest possible expression of your love by stretching. <laughs> yes, up there. So I study children's ministry, and around about now I'd be getting you to run around the, the building at time if I notice you were just getting a bit wriggly. But with adults, basically it's the opposite. You just, if, the, if everyone's starting to drift a wee bit, you have to sort of wake them up. Anyway, have a seat now, and let me just recap what I've just said so far. The key to all good fruit is a close, lifelong relationship with God. Two ways you can cultivate that relationship are to regularly spend time with God and to live a life of willing submission to God. All right, now let's talk about fruit. Fruit doesn't instantly appear like gifts. You're not born with fruit. You don't receive it when somebody lays hands on you. Fruit grows. Now, in the natural world, most fruit starts out as a bud, which soon opens into a pretty flower. Maybe that's you. However, the flower is only temporary, and once pollinated, its petals fall, and its base begins to swell and grow. Maybe that's you. <laughs> Until eventually it becomes a fully grown fruit. Even then, the fruit has to ripen before it is perfect and ready to consume. All of this takes time and patience and care. And so it is with us. There are two types of fruit. Fruit that is born in us and fruit that is born through us. And I'd like to talk to e uh, about each one of those in turn. Fruit that is born in us. You could call this kind of fruit character fruit. Let's read Galatians 5.22. You all know this. But I can sing it. I'm not going to, but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wisdom is another good fruit that can be born in us. Much of this fruit grows in the midst of adversity when things are difficult. You know, you learn patience by having to wait <laughs> or by having to deal with difficult people or frustrating situations. You learn faithfulness by having responsibilities that you have to meet. You learn love when you're not feeling the love, but you love anyway. Difficulties don't automatically produce fruit. Clearly they don't. But they do provide us the opportunity to submit to God's work in us. And as we do that, the fruit begins to grow. So that's fruit born in us. The other kind of fruit is fruit that is born through us through serving, or is the overflow of our relationship with God. 
Actually, fruit born through us can even be the overflow of the fruit that is in us. Fruit that is born through us often requires effort. It's work. Maybe decades of commitment. Or maybe just a single act of kindness. It may be the investment you make into the life of another person. Or the opportunity you take to encourage somebody. Or to pray for them. Let's look at two verses which describe this fruit that is born through us. First is Ephesians 2 verse 10, and I'm reading it in the New American Standard Bible, which is quite a sort of literal version. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Notice that you are God's workmanship. You are his handiwork or his, his masterpiece and that you are prepared specifically for the, for the good works that he has also specifically prepared for you. In other words, you're custom made for the work that he has for you. How do you know what those good works are? It's a little bit like what Paul was saying before. Sometimes you actually, you actually don't until you're doing them, and sometimes you just have to step out and kind of see what happens. But let's remind ourselves, who is the gardener? Who is the gardener? God. So who is responsible for us bearing fruit? God. So do you think we can trust him to lead us into the good work that he's prepared for us? Yes, we can. Even if that is only one step at a time that he reveals to us, take that step because we can trust him. He knows what's coming up. Let's look now at First Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift, uh, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In the NASB, it says, as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Isn't that a great description? And notice the word stewards. We're to steward God's grace in its various forms. God has he trusts you to administer his grace and he's gifted you to do it. And I love that picture of God's grace sort of flowing through us in all those different sorts of ways. And that's why it's so important that we don't get sucked into playing the comparison game. Don't ever compare yourself with somebody else. You know, you might say, oh, I'm not a particularly gifted person. What can I do? Do you know what the most important ability is availability. Some people are like specialists, you know, with very well-defined gifts in a particular area. But others are more like generalists, able to turn their hand to any number of things. Yes, it's certainly helpful to know what you're good at. And often this becomes more clear as time goes by. But don't get bogged down with that. You know, God is not going to reward us for our giftedness. He's going to reward us for our obedience. So rather than asking, what have I got? It's actually more helpful to ask, how can I serve? That's the kind of attitude that lights God up. And as you serve, you will discover, I think, that you actually do have a unique mix of abilities 
and opportunities given to you specifically by God to enable you to serve and to express a different aspect of his grace. Even where God has put you gives you a unique opportunity, whether it be in your family, in your class at school, in your workplace, in your football team, in your neighborhood, in, your, in, in the group of people that you go running with. <laughs> you know, you can reach people that other people can't just because of who you are and where you are. And it's really important that we don't churchify this stuff. I think I made that word up. It's a neologism, do you like it? It's really important that we don't churchify. You know, we are always in the church. We are the church. But most of our life is not lived at church. You know, it's lived in all those other places that I just mentioned. So serve well there, and you can be a channel for God's grace in that place. Right, we're starting to round things off now. Um, oh, goodness. You know, I just want to briefly highlight two pitfalls that uh, will stop us from bearing fruit so that we may avoid them. And they're found in two of the seven letters that Jesus dictated to John, and they're found at the beginning of the book of Revelation. You know, the letters to the churches there? And one of those letters... Um, this is the first pitfall. One of those letters is to the church in Sardis. And here's what Jesus says to them. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in my sight, in the sight of my God. Unfinished. You know, the worst three letters that you can see next to your name after a running event are DNF. You know what that stands for? Did not finish. You know, but in Christ, God gives us everything we need to complete the work that he has created us to do and prepared for us in advance to do. He gives us everything we need to do that. So don't give up. Work hard. Keep going and finish well. I love that phrase, finish well. It's so important in everything we do, isn't it? Whether we're finishing a job at work or whether we're um, just doing some little thing in the cafe, we clean up the last little bit of mess that's there. Finish well. The second pitfall is found in the letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, and it's kind of the opposite of the one I just shared. And in this, um, in this letter, Jesus says to the Ephesians, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Oh, that one hurts, doesn't it? I bet those Ephesians just thought, oh. They'd got so busy doing that they'd let their relationship with God kind of fall into disrepair. Like a garden, once productive, but now left untended. Don't leave your relationship with God untended. Love him. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. 
He is your life. And the result of that will be much good fruit. And much good fruit is much good worship. Because it comes from our obedience to God. And even though all good fruit is ultimately from him, we get to bear it. We who bear his name also get to bear his fruit. And then present it to him like an offering of worship. Prepared over a lifetime of service and love and devotion. It's the fruit of a life well lived. Now, this book is called Gilly Greenwood's Gift for Granny. It belongs to Amy. Shoot, Amy's not here today, is she? It's a shame. But I want to, you know, people remember the stories. <laughs> you probably remember nothing about anything that I say, but you'll remember about Gilly Greenwood. I'm not going to read you all of this book because um, it's just a little bit long, but, I, but, but, but Gilly Greenwood is a little kind of frog girl and she goes to stay with her granny at the swamp and she just has a lovely time with her granny, you know, and granny has a lovely time with Gilly and granny's birthday is, is fast approaching and all these people start arriving with gifts for granny, you know, all these wonderful highfalutin gifts and they give them to granny and then they're off again and then the next one arrives and then they're off again and, and poor Gilly she feels awful for not being so thoughtful I've no gift for granny she sighs so I'm going to pick the story up granny's gone to bed and the next morning it's going to be her birthday can we have that? yeah here we go I know you like the pictures all through, the, you know, I just have to say that I'm a real sucker for these children's stories. They always make me get all emotional. I don't know why. There's something they put in. It must be the f terrible rhyme or something. But anyway, there it is. All through the night, Gilly worked in a fright till her poor little back had grown stiff. I have failed, Gilly wailed. Though I've pasted and nailed, I can't make a good enough gift. But I have to keep trying, she muttered while crying or Granny will think I don't care. Oh, what can I give her to prove that I love her? She dropped to her bed in despair. Long before dawn, Granny woke with a yawn, and there at the foot of her bed sat a huge wooden box, as heavy as rocks, with a little note written in red. The note said, To Granny, this gift is from Gilly. I know that it's not very good. But I want you to know that I do love you so, and I'd give you the world if I could. Whatever could be in this box, wondered Granny. She lifted and prodded and pried. And what a surprise. Just imagine her eyes when she found Gilly sleeping inside. Oh, Granny, said Gilly, feeling quite silly. I've nothing to give you, you see. I've worked all night through, but the best I could do was to give you a box full of me. <laughs> what a marvellous, glorious, beautiful present, cried Granny while hugging her girl. I'd rather have you and the sweet things you do than all of the things in the world.
<laughs> Do you know, God is like that. He wants us. He loves us. He, the most important thing is that we are in him, that we, that we live in his love. He wants to share our company. You know, he's chosen us for that relationship. And you know, everything that we have that we can do, he gave it to us anyway. And yet he takes pleasure in the fact that we bear fruit. So don't say to yourself, oh, there's not much that I can do. Don't put yourself in a box. You know, some people put themselves in a box and they limit what God can do in their life. Instead, put yourself in a box and give yourself to God as a gift. Offer yourself to him, all of you. And let him bear fruit through you. That is the key. That is the one, that's your one job. Remain in me. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me give you some homework. There it is. Sit down with a pen or a keyboard and ask God two questions. Lord, you don't have to do it now. This is for later. Lord, what's one thing I can do, I can start doing to cultivate a deeper and closer relationship with you? And who can I bless this week? Let's pray the band can come up. Father, we offer our lives to you. Thank you for the privilege of being one with you, Jesus, one with, the, with your spirit. Oh, may we be a blessing to you. And may we be a blessing to those who we are called to serve. May our life our lives be full of love and good fruit. And we, may we bring glory to you as we share what you have given us with those um, in our world, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I, I just think that God is, is calling some of you from a place of, not complacency, but, you know, sometimes we kind of need a buff up, don't we? We sort of get dusty, and, and our relationship with God can be a little bit like that. And the Holy Spirit delights to come and give us a polish so that the light shines bright again. And uh, maybe you just want to kind of resubmit yourself to God again, afresh. Just offer yourself to Him and, and devote yourself afresh to to living with him, to spending time with him, to seeking his voice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just want to speak to the young people as well. You know, when I look back in my old, in my, um, when I look at all the things that, that I see bearing fruit in my life now, they all started when I was a teenager. All of them. They all had their roots when I was young. Some of them when I was younger than that, uh, when I was a child. So don't 
despise the day of small beginnings. Step out and do things. You know, those things are seeds. And that seed has got everything that the full plant has in that seed. So, you know, be bold and, and give yourself to God and, and see what he brings out in you.